Hi there. Welcome to Southside Baptist Church's Sermon Podcast. Here at SSBC, we are seeking to impact our world for Christ one life at a time. We hope this sermon will be a blessing and help to you in the furtherance of your journey with Jesus Christ and bring glory to His great name. We have sermon podcasts, videos, and many other resources and information about our local congregation of Christians on our website at southsidesbc.org. Thanks for listening and have a great day. As Pastor Brandon has kind of been talking about some this morning, um, our lives are filled with trials and difficulties, um, a la snow, amen? Um, that can be one. Um, manna from heaven, there you go, I don't know about that. Um, uh, maybe, maybe snow cream, anybody made snow cream? See, everybody up here knows we're not eating that snow. <laughs> South Carolina, we got a few flakes of snow. We like making some ice cream out of it, and we're going crazy. Um, never mind, anyway. <laughs> but in the midst of this snow, um, we're going to talk about this morning uh, something we often have to do, and that is to persevere. Uh, I don't know if any of you have heard of a man by the name of, she, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing this right, Shizo. Kanakuri. Shizo Kanakuri was a Japanese marathon runner in the early 1900s, so a little over um, a century ago. He competed in the Japanese domestic qualifying trials for the 1912 Olympics in Stockholm, uh, Germany, and in the process of competing in those, uh, in those qualifying trials, set a world record time in the marathon. Because of this, um, he was selected as one of only two athletes that Japan could afford to send to the Olympics that year. Um, this was, you know, years ago. This was before Honda, right? This was uh, years ago. Anyway, however, Kanakura, Kanakuri shockingly disappeared during the 1912 Olympic marathon race. The story is he'd had a rough 18-day-long trip to Stockholm, first by ship and then by train through the Trans-Siberian Railway, and because of such, needed five days to recover for the race. His body was weakened by the long journey uh, from Japan, so during the race, he because of his body being weakened, he lost consciousness and actually passed out midway through the race. After uh, being kind of nursed back to health a little bit, he ended up being cared for by a local family. But embarrassed by his failure to finish the race, he simply returned to Japan without notifying race officials, effectively just quitting the race. Friends, like Shitsu Kanakuri, we are often, I believe, tempted to quit and give up during the race of life. Um, instead of persevering through our trials, instead of persevering through the storms and difficulties of life, um, the devil wants to just get us to quit, right? He wants to just get us, you know what, just, just, just get, it's not worth it. You don't even need to continue to go on. As we saw a few weeks ago in our uh, study of Ezra and Nehemiah, 
Sanballat and his cohorts, who were enemies to Nehemiah, tried to get the Jews and Nehemiah to stop building the wall. You know, they, they were... They did everything they could. They tried many tactics to try to stop getting them to rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, but it didn't work. Last week, we saw our ultimate enemy um, bring other challenges. We saw um, the storms and challenges be brought from within the Jewish nation, if you will, the Jewish people, as the tactics from outside didn't work. Um, Satan tried to get them fighting one another. Instead, they had to learn how to love one another, right? How to treat others the way they wanted to be treated. But the reality is that no matter where trials come from, whether they come from outside or whether they come from within, friends, as God's people, we are called to press on. Amen? We're called to press on in serving the Lord, to persevere in life and to persevere in our relationship with Christ. Now, there is some wrong thinking out there. You know, I think the wrong thinking that often creeps into our minds is that if I can just get through this storm, whatever it is you're going through right now, if I can just get through this storm, then there's smooth sailing after that. Isn't that kind of what the temptation is in our mind, right? Man, if I can just get through this, oh, then I can breathe. If I can just get through this, that. But I don't know. I, I believe the reality is, and what we learn as we go through life is that that while yes, there do exist okay brief periods of solace in life, right? We 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 experience some of those periods every now and then, and and when we do, we ought to enjoy them. <laughs> right? Amen. That's right. We ought to enjoy them. But I believe the reality is that life is just one challenge after another. Amen. It's one difficulty, one obstacle, one challenge, one right after to another. And so what we learn as we go through life is that it's not what happens to us that matters, but how we respond to it that matters. Um, Our job as Christians, and we can do this, I believe, ultimately because as we sang this morning, Christ has already won the race. Amen? Amen. We're running a race. How wonderful that is that he's already won, friends. But our job is to learn how to persevere and press on through the trials, through the difficulties, through all of that, and continue serving the Lord no matter what. That is persevering for Christ. So how do we do that? If we're going to persevere, we need to learn how, right? I believe our text today, we see Nehemiah persevere and continue, despite his enemies from without, despite the enemies, if you will, from within, trying to get him and the Jews to stop. Now they're going to try to attack him personally. Nehemiah is a, uh, a poster child for perseverance. And I believe we can learn some key things from him. So how are we going to persevere, friends? It requires several things. Number one, if you're looking at your outline this morning, here it is. Number one, the first thing perseverance in doing the Lord's work requires, friends, is a focus on God's will. I believe perseverance requires a focus on God's will. I believe the question is, what has God called you to do? What does God want you to do? What God's calling you to do in your Christian life and in your walk, 
uh, some things are, are uh, the same for all of us. Amen? God's calling us to grow in our faith and to, to, to learn about him and to progress in uh, sanctification and holiness. Uh, that applies to all of us. He's calling all of us to witness and to share our faith with others and to be a good testimony, to be salt and light in the world. That applies to all of us. But the specific context of how and where we do those things is different. For many of us, right? And maybe for all of us. It is different for you than for me. And so the question is, what does God want us to do? We know some of that, right? And we need to figure that out. And then we need to stick to it, okay? Listen, the devil, if you're saved, the devil can't take that from you, amen? So what's he going to try to do? He's going to try to render you ineffective. He's going to try to get you on the sidelines instead of in the race. And if he can do that, guess what? Yeah, you, you may be a Christian, but you're not making a difference in your world or the world around you. And, and effectively, then, he has succeeded in, in all he can do at that point. So, friends, let's look at Nehemiah's example. I believe what Nehemiah did was he knew what God had called him to do. God had called him back to lead the Israelites to rebuild the wall, right? And he focused on that. And he did it despite so many obstacles and tactics from the enemy. Look at Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors in the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono, but they thought to do me harm. So, um, as we like to say in South Carolina, things were getting pretty near close to done. (laughs) They was fixing to be finished with that. Um, as Nehemiah tells us, there were no breaks left in the wall. Okay. So they'd filled in the gaps that, that had breaks in them. And, and at this point they built the wall back up to the height and every thickness and stuff that they wanted to be. There were no breaks in the wall, but he says the doors and the gates had not yet been hung. So they were, they were pretty near close to being done, but they weren't quite done. And so Sanballat and his cohorts, the enemies of the Jews, those who were fighting against Nehemiah, were trying to stop them from rebuilding the wall, saw their window, heard about this, and they saw their window of opportunity closing. If they were going to stop the Israelites from finishing the wall and finish rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem, they had to act fast because there wasn't much time left. So what did they do? They sent Nehemiah uh, a message. They sent Nehemiah word to meet them in the plain of Ono. Now, I don't, you know, if you're going to call me to meet in somewhere that's called Ono, <laughs> oh no! I, I, I don't know if in the Hebrew it's pronounced exactly like that or not, but. Um, Nehemiah got the the hint, right? Uh, It was not good. Uh, They they were calling Nehemiah to meet them there. Ono is believed to have been located about seven miles southeast of Joppa, near a town called Lydda, far west. So if you're looking at a map of of, uh, 
of Israel, current day Israel stuff in the Mediterranean Sea's over here, way over here, close to the Mediterranean Sea, about as far west um, as you could go there. Not quite, but um, it was the westernmost area um, that had been settled by returning Jews. Now, as we look at what they said, they just simply call him to come and meet together um, in the villages in the plain of Ono. Come, come meet us out there. Now, what did they have in mind? Were they planning to harm Nehemiah physically? Um, I don't know. Maybe. Um, that really hadn't been their plan up to this point, but maybe they were going to you know, do something along those lines. Were they just trying to distract him? <laughs> I could say definitely, right? Um, but Nehemiah sensed that whatever they wanted, it wasn't good. He sensed, oh no, I'm not going to go. And so he um, says here in verse 3, look at what he says. He says, so I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? So Nehemiah got their message. Hey, Nehemiah, come meet with us. We need to talk to you about something. And Nehemiah said, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going. Why? Because Nehemiah was focused on what God had called him to do. Look at what he says here. He says, he sent messengers saying, I am doing a great work. Um, People in our world today would like to say that, you know, serving God, serving in the church, serving others, um, we can put that off, right? That's not important. You need to take care of this or that or the other, or yourself or what have you. Um, friends, but Nehemiah understood that what he was doing is great. When we serve the Lord, it is significant. Amen? He recognized rebuilding the walls as the Lord's work. Friends, Jerusalem was the Lord's city. It was the city in which um, God had chosen for his name to dwell, for his temple to be built. It would be, think about this, it would be in that very city that Jesus would walk in, that Jesus would minister. It was in that very temple that Jesus would stand and teach. Not to mention all the eschatological significance that it had and that God had promised that it would be rebuilt. Okay, So Nehemiah not only believed but knew Okay, that this was an important work. So why should he leave God's work to go and talk to these guys who he knew were up to no good? Look at verse 4. It says, but they sent me this message four times. Um, The devil is persistent, amen? He's persistent. Sinbalat was persistent. But look at what it says. It says, and I answered them in the same manner. You know, they were trying to distract him. They were trying to pull him away. And he might come do this. Nope, 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 nope. I don't know. That might've been more than four. Anyway, um, Nehemiah said, no, he said, I'm doing what God has called me to do. And in verse five, look at what happens. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me as before the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. Now, um, Official letters were sent sealed, okay, with the message private. But here, they, Sanballat had sent an open letter. 
open letters inferred that this was information that people already know or needed to be read in front of people or you know what everybody knows this anyway and so whether it had been read or what have you um Sanballat was inferring in this you know what we're getting this message out look at what it says verse six and it was written it is reported among the nations and Geshem says listen a rumor always starts somewhere amen don't be that guy or that gal. Don't be that person. I want you to pay really close attention to what's going on here, okay? It's reported among the nations, and Geshem says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall, that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, there's a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come, therefore, and let us consult together. So Sanballat, in his letter, outright lies or maybe just repeats lies. That's just as worse, amen, or just as bad, um, that Geshem had, had, had come up with. And, and so here Sanballat lies, um, and, and makes inferences. So as we look at what is said in the letter there, I want us to think about this just from, from Sanballat and Geshem's perspective, okay? Um, they observed the situation from afar, right? And in observing it from afar, I suppose that they, you could look at the situation with Nehemiah and the Jews and what they were doing from the outside and I'm, I, I, I'm, you, could, you could imagine a scenario where you could come up with this, right? Here were the Jews. They were fortifying the walls to their historic city. Fortifying the walls to their historic city could be seen as, a, as, as an intention to rebel. Those Jews, they're building a wall around their city. Why else would you build a wall unless you're trying to pr protect yourself from others and you tend to rebel and you don't want the king to come after you? See how that works in, in your head? Uh, second, Nehemiah leading the people to... Listen, Nehemiah came back from Babylon, right? Why would Nehemiah come back here unless he had intentions to set up a kingdom? Why would he rebuild these walls? Why would he care about what's happening to Jerusalem? And listen, uh, rumor had it, some even contend, even some scholars believe that Nehemiah was actually of Davidic descent. So, so the, the rumor mill is going, right? The only problem was it wasn't true. We're going to see that here in just a second. Okay, it wasn't true. But can I just give you a warning? Um, don't be part of the rumor mill either starting it or continuing it, okay? Uh, sometimes things, things may seem a certain way. They may look a certain way. Listen, it may even make sense, right? From the outside, you look at all that and you say, I don't care what Nehemiah says, you know, it just, that's what he's doing. And Nehemiah, is, that's not at all what Nehemiah was doing. Friends, there was no real truth in it. Don't be a rumor monger. Go, listen, if, you're, if you hear things or whatever, don't spread rumors. Go to that person, right? Go to them. Talk to them. Ask them 
point blank. Listen, here's what I've heard. Here's what things seem to be. Is this what's going on? You say, well, they may lie to me. Well, they might. But at least go to find out. Amen? Don't be a rumor monger. Now, look how Nehemiah responded in verse 8. He says, then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say are being done. Nehemiah said, that's nonsense. But you invent them in your own head. You're just making this stuff up. I haven't done any of that. I'm not claiming to be king. I'm not getting anybody to pronounce myself as king. And we are definitely not uh, trying to rebel. In fact, to prove that, they were under Persian rule, then under Roman rule and Greek rule. Listen, the, the Jews didn't rebel at all. Nehemiah denies all of that. You're just making this stuff up. And then in verse 9. For they, for they all were trying to make us afraid. What were they trying to do? Sanballat made up all these things. Geshur made up all these things. And it wasn't just the lies, but the threat was that I'm going to report all this stuff to the king so that the king will do something about it. He was trying to make Nehemiah afraid. Nehemiah, you got to stop doing all this because what is the king going to think about this? Nehemiah knew better. He, he knew what he had Ted said to the king, they were all trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. So Nehemiah diagnosed their real motive. The real motive was to just make the Jews fearful and to get them to stop. Again, this was a last ditch effort. And as it says here, to weaken their hands in the work. That is a Hebrew idiom, simply meaning to demoralize them. You know, when we face trials and difficulties and obstacles, it is very easy to become discouraged and demoralized. Amen? It is very easy to to lose heart with problems happening in our lives all the time. Seemingly constant distractions that keep us from doing what God wants us to do. With health problems and financial problems and relationship problems and family problems. All these things getting in the way, friends. It's very easy to become discouraged and demoralized in serving the Lord. So how can we persevere? Well, how did Nehemiah persevere? First of all, friends, he knew what God had called him to do. Amen? He knew that God had called him to rebuild the wall. He'd lead the Israelites in doing that and to fortify the city. Second, he knew the Lord's will. He knew what God wanted him to do. Uh, uh, Third, uh, he asked God to strengthen him in that. Look at what he says at the end of verse 9. He says, now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. I'm sure with all of that weight, listen, Nehemiah persevered. That doesn't mean he didn't feel the weight of it. He didn't feel the weight of the, the, the enemies coming against him. He didn't feel the worry in all those things. Uh, it doesn't mean that at all. In fact, what Nehemiah is doing is something we were talking about in a few minutes. He's leaning on the Lord. Amen? God, you strengthen my hands. So he knew what God had called him to do. He asked God to strengthen him in that, friends, and he persevered. He wasn't deterred from what God had called him to do. He knew the Lord. He knew the Lord's will. He knew what God had called him to do, and he stayed focused on that. Friends, don't let the problems of life get you down. Amen? You know, that is one reason why we come together as a church. 
okay? We come together as a church to encourage each other and lift one another up, okay? It is important. That is more important than you know. Listen, I hope you have family that can encourage you and lift you up. I hope you have people that you work with and other friends that you see outside of church that can encourage you and lift you up. Friends, but there is nothing greater than being around a group of believers who all have our eyes focused on Jesus when we've got our problems and stuff, amen, to encourage one another and to lift one another up. Don't let Satan discourage you. Let, don't let God keep you away from where you need to be. Don't let Satan demoralize you. Don't let Satan distract you from what God has for you. Press on, keep on, keeping on, and keep your focus in your eyes on God, Amen. 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 Let's keep going. Number two. That's the first essential. Perseverance requires focus on God's will. Second of all, perseverance in God's serving the Lord and God's work requires integrity. It requires integrity, friends. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says this. Afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was a secret informer. Now, this guy named Shemaiah was a secret informer to uh, Sanballat and Tobiah and so forth. However, um, that is not necessarily what this word means. The, the word is translated in the New King James as a secret informer. It's a Hebrew word um, that is difficult to translate. And so some of you have, may have different translations, and so it may have a different translation there. Uh, it's the Hebrew word atzer, and it means literally to be shut or closed up, all right? Not to be shut up as in fermé la bouche, okay, uh, if you speak French, but it's talking about being shut up or closed up. Now, um, it's hard to say exactly what this frame, phrase means for sure. Was it talking that Shemaiah was an invalid and couldn't get out? I don't believe that's the case um, because he... Um, recommends to Nehemiah to meet him in the temple. So if that was the case, I don't know that that would be it. Does it mean that he was shut up and confined to his house because of a ritual impurity? Maybe. Does it mean that he was, that he was simply a hermit? Um, some of us guys probably could be qualified sometimes as a hermit, right? Maybe that was Shemaiah. I don't know. But I, I like this last one. I, and here's kind of what I believe. I believe it simply means that he had shut himself up, maybe in his home, as part of the ruse to get Nehemiah to believe him. In other words, look at what he says next to Nehemiah. He says here in verse 10, he says, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. Sounds like a conspiracy theorist, doesn't he? Um, but here, here's the thing. Um, I, I believe maybe Shemaiah was, was closing himself up just as part of the ruse. You know what? Nehemiah, they're coming after us. We got to go hide. And so he's trying to get Nehemiah to go and hide in the temple. Now, should Nehemiah go hide in the temple? Well, I don't know. Sounds like a good place to hide to me. Let's look at what Nehemiah says in verse 11. And I said, should such a man as I flee? 
And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. So Nehemiah began to think about what Shemaiah had said to him and how what he was trying to get him to do and how that, uh, he believed, conflicted with the word of God. It wouldn't be proper to go into the temple. I think it's, it makes a specific point, not just to go to the temple complex, but into the temple, into the holy place to protect himself and to shut himself up against his enemies. I believe Nehemiah here is saying it wouldn't be proper nor appropriate for him to use the temple of God in that way. Friends, and even if his life was really under threat, Nehemiah was not the kind of guy who would flee and hide. Nehemiah was not a coward at all. So look at verse 12. He says, then I perceived that God had not sent him at all. Okay, so we we back up a little bit, and some things that maybe aren't explicit there are now implicit that that Shemaiah had put forth to Nehemiah that God wanted Nehemiah to come there, right? That God is not sending him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy. Shemaiah was evidently some kind of prophet or claimed to be a prophet anyway. That he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. So popular thing in that day, try to trick somebody is hire somebody, particularly a prophet to tell them something, try to get them to do something. And so, um, because he suggested that they hide in the temple, Nehemiah was tipped off that what Shemaiah was trying to get him to do and what he was saying to him, you see, Shemaiah put this off as he was trying to help Nehemiah, right? Nehemiah, these people are after you. Let's go and let's hide. I'm just trying to protect you, Nehemiah, when the reality was what he was trying to get him to do was to do something that would have jeopardized his leadership of the Jewish people. Verse 13, for this reason he was hired, that I should be afraid and act that way and sin. So Nehemiah believed uh, that to go shut himself up in the temple would have been a sin against God because that is not what the temple is for, right? So that they might have cause for an evil report that they might reproach me. So they hired Shemaiah to lie, to try to trick Nehemiah and try to get him to sin and look bad so that the people would stop following him and therefore that they would stop rebuilding the walls. Verse 14, Nehemiah says this, my God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat. According to the, these, their works, and the prophetess Noadiah, so evidently there's a whole group of them, another prophetess that was involved in this, and the rest of the prophets who would, ha- who would have made me afraid. So Nehemiah recognizes the ruse that Shemaiah was trying to pull on him. That he was just trying to get him to do something that would have jeopardized his leadership. And Nehemiah, instead of... Instead of um, retaliating against Sanballat and all of his enemies, committed himself to the Lord, committed his cause to the Lord. He committed his justice here in verse 14 against his enemies to the Lord as well. God, you handle them. I'm going to leave this vengeance into your hands, God. Listen, doesn't that tell us something about Nehemiah's character? It tells us that Nehemiah was a man of integrity. That encompassed Nehemiah's mindset, that that he was a man of character, that he was a man of integrity. He was going to do what was right. He was not going to compromise. He was not going to do something that he shouldn't be doing just to protect himself. He was going to trust God, and he was going to leave it in the Lord's hands. He wasn't going to go hide in the temple because that would have been wrong. 
It wouldn't have been trusting the Lord in this. It would have been a misuse of the house of God. And he wasn't going to take vengeance on his enemies. And he wasn't going to take that into his own hands because that was wrong as well. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Amen? So here's what we need to remember, friends. Nothing, uh, Nehemiah was a man of integrity, right? Nothing can derail your ability to persevere in life and in serving the Lord quicker than a lack of of integrity. What would have happened if Nehemiah had hid in the, in the temple and his people had gotten word of that? He would have lost their respect, right? He would have, he would, they would have probably stopped following him. And at the very least, they would have started questioning him and his leadership. What would have happened if Nehemiah had lost his cool and had taken vengeance into his own hands? He would have been distracted from finishing the wall and would not have persevered in that. Friends, without personal integrity, you can be made to compromise what you believe and to do things that you otherwise wouldn't do and that you know in your heart are wrong. And in that, you can be drawn off course and that as much as anything, can bring your life to a screeching halt. It can bring your ability to serve the Lord to a screeching halt. It can stop you in your tracks. Amen? Perseverance requires integrity. You say, Pastor, um, what if my integrity's already been compromised? What if if there are things in my life that have already uh, are not where they need to be? Friends, that's why we serve a God of second chances. Amen? Ask, if that's the case, friends, ask God to cleanse you from whatever impropriety there is in your life. It's never too late to turn from our sin and turn to Jesus. Commit your way to him. Ask him to give you a pure heart through the blood of Jesus. Amen? It's why Jesus died. It's why he shed his body and his blood on the cross for you, friends, is to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You say, Pastor, I don't know about that. I don't believe that, whatever. Friends, turn from your sin. Turn to Christ, just trusting that God will forgive you because of what Christ has done. And God will do a miracle in your life. God will transform your heart. And friends, from that day forward, just surrender your life to him. See, that's what it comes into. It's not trusting in our own way, but trusting in his way. Surrender to living life his way with purity of heart. No manipulation, no deceit, but just integrity because Jesus is the one we want to please. Amen? Perseverance requires focus on God's will. It requires integrity. The third thing that I believe we see here is that perseverance requires God's help. Very simply put, we can't persevere on our own. When we try to, that's when we end up on the sidelines. That's when we end up in trouble. That's when we end up in a mess is when we try to do things on on our own. Because what we try to do is we try to manipulate things. We try to finagle things. We try to do it just out of sheer determination. And friends, um, those things just, they, they don't work. They may work for a time, but it always comes back around to get you. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 says this, so the wall was finished. Yay! Right? Yay! This wall is finished on the 
25th day of Elul. So they, according to the Nissan calendar, they started in August, I believe. They finished in October. Um, somebody calculated October 27th, 445 BC to be exact. And look at what it says. In 52 days. In 52 days, less than two months, friends, the Israelites finished repairing the wall all around the city of Jerusalem. Now, how miraculous is that? Amen? Now, there are scholars who want to debate that, and they want to say, oh, wow, they didn't finish in that. It took them several years, and they come up with alternate dates and all that. But, friends, what does Nehemiah say here? In 52 days. Um, well, look what, look what it says next. Verse 16, and it happened. Okay, some would say, well, maybe he didn't really mean to say that, and maybe that was added late. I don't know what people come up with. Anyway, and it happened when all our enemies heard of it, and all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes. So they were trying to discourage the Israelites. Now that it was finished and the wall was complete, they were, they were the ones disheartened. But why? It says, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. If it had been done in several years, the people could have done that, right? But no, it was done in less than two months. So they perceived that it was done by our God. How miraculous. Friends, never underestimate what you can accomplish for the Lord if God has called you. Amen? If you are serving him faithfully and if you are persevering with his help. Amen? When he is working through you, listen, you can do wonderful and mighty and great things. And we as a church can do wonderful and mighty and great things when we allow God to work through us. But that's not just working in the flesh. Amen? That's allowing God to do his work. Why was it such a surprise to the, to the, to the enemies, to Sinbalat and those others, the enemies of the Jews? I believe it was such a surprise because they knew what the Israelites were capable of on their own. Um, how long had it been since they completed the temple? Anybody remember? We talked about this just roughly 80 years or so. Yeah. 80, 90 years it, since they completed the temple. Okay. So the Israelites on their own without God's help, without God calling Nehemiah back to lead them and to get them all organized and together and for God to give to work through them. They hadn't done nothing for 80 or 90 years. And then all of a sudden in 52 days, they complete rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. They perceived that this work was done by our God. Friends, it was obvious that God was at work in them and through them. You know, if we are going to persevere in serving the Lord, despite the obstacles and the challenges and whatever, and listen, let me just say, and on a very simple note, okay, my wife didn't tell me to say this, but when you sign up to serve something, especially at the beginning, the devil's going to do all he can to get you to stop. He's going to come up. Listen, you're not going to have to come up with an excuse. I guarantee you, you will have at least five excuses that you could use to not do what you've committed to do. It will happen. And so it, what, what it comes down to is, uh, am I going to do what God's called me to do despite all the challenges and the obstacles that come up? Or am I going to allow the excuse to rule to not do what God's called me to do? Now, Yes, I understand. Maybe God's calling you to do something different, but make sure God's calling you to do that and you're not calling you to do that. Amen? 
But when God calls us to do that, friends, um, the only way we can persevere is with his help, okay? And that is to lead, set aside the, the, challenge, the, the, the difficulties and trust God with it. We need the Lord and his strength to make it through life and the challenges of life, continuing to serve the Lord and continuing to have him at the head of your life. Friends, you're going to need God. We need his rejuvenation sometimes, amen, because when we get discouraged, we need his second chances when we mess up. We need his forgiveness when we do things we shouldn't. We need his pick-me-up. Sometimes we need his stick to because we lose it. We need him because we can't do it on our own. But here's the deal. Sometimes we think we can do it on our own. We think, I just pull myself up by my bootstraps, and I got some determination, and I'm just going to persevere through this. You know what comes before fall? Pride and overconfidence. And when we think that we got this, oh, man, you know what? I'm in a place in my life. I'm in a better place than I've ever been. And you know what? I'm living for Jesus, and, man, all that stuff's behind me. Oh, watch out, my friend. Now, I pray that that will be a place where you're at, okay? But yet for the grace of God, so go I. We all are sinners by nature and by choice. And none of us are so far along that we cannot be tempted to do something that we would think we would never do. That's why we need to put, you need to put protections in place in your life. Protections that may seem legalistic to others, okay? Here's what legalism, legalism is, there's a difference between convictions and legalism. Convictions are things that I put into place in my own life because I want to keep myself from sin, okay? Legalism is when I try to impose those things on somebody else. You need convictions in your own life, okay? Don't try to put those with somebody else. Let them come up with their own with working with the Lord, okay? But you need those convictions. And sometimes those convictions may seem strict and so forth. But here's the deal, okay? Um, we need those so that we will not fall, amen? Whenever we think we can guide it on our own, I can handle this, I can just persevere, then that's, that's a problem, friends. We need to lean on the Lord. We need to rely on him. We need him every second of every day. Amen. It leads us to number four. Perseverance requires a focus on God's will. It requires integrity. It requires God's help. And fourth, this may seem like a dumb moment, okay? But the Bible says this too. Perseverance requires persevering until the end. Perseverance requires persevering until the end. Please pay attention to this, all right? Because this is so, so important. I think it's, it, it seems like a dumb moment, but it really is so important, friends. Perseverance requires a recognition that there's not a time which you don't have to persevere anymore while you're here on this earth, okay? Um, there's no quitting. There's no point at which you can stop persevering. This next statement, I started to make this the point, but I kind of reworded it. So, but maybe you want to write this down. Persevering doesn't end until it does. You understand what I'm saying? Persevering doesn't end until it does. Listen, there will be a day when we don't have to persevere anymore uh, here on this earth. Fortunately, at that day, we'll be with Jesus. Amen. 
And as we've already sung, he's already won the battle, okay? And so, but while we're here on this earth, it's going to keep requiring perseverance. There's no, as I said earlier, there's no getting through this and then I can take a breather or whatever. There may be a brief breather, but guess what? Something else is coming. And so that's why we can't, you say, I don't know that I can handle that. You're right. You can't. Only God, you can with God. I want you to look at some, I, I find it very interesting how this chapter ends. After all of that, the, the challenges that Nehemiah comes to, Nehemiah says, we finished the wall. The enemies were discouraged because they, they, they said that they saw God doing this. Look at what it says in verse 17 through 19. It says, also in those days, the nobles of Judah, and you remember those nobles? Those were the guys back in chapter five who were taking advantage of the common folk. Okay. Now in chapter five, they kind of got their act together with Nehemiah's rebuke, but there were still issues, okay? For many, uh, excuse me, verse 17. Those in, in, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah. Remember, he was one of the enemies. Uh, one of the cohorts was in ballot. Sent many letters to Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came to them. So what he's saying there is we're going to see down in verse 19. In fact, let's go ahead and look at verse 19. Verse 19 says this. Also, they reported his, Tobiah's, good deeds before me and reported my words to him and Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. So uh, what's going on here is that, well, there were people who were in cahoots, if you will, with Tobiah. You say, why in the world would they do that? There was continual trouble for Nehemiah. We'll look at verse 18. It says, for many in Judah, specifically those nobles, were pledged to him, Tobiah, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era. Okay, so Shechaniah, who was a prominent Jewish leader, okay, a prominent Jewish family, I should say, was his father-in-law, was Tobiah's father-in-law, and his son, Jehohanan, had married, it sounds like John got elongated, right? Jehohanan had married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. So Shechaniah was his father-in-law, and um, he was the father-in-law of the daughter of Meshulam. So what had happened goes back to that problem all along. And that was intermarriage with the peoples of the lands had caused mixed alliances. And so what was happening there, as it says in verse 19, they were reporting, um, were, were reported his good deeds performance. Here they were, all these people that were now related and connected to Tobiah were coming to Nehemiah. You know what? Tobiah is not a bad guy. You know, he wants what's best for the people of the region. I know he's kind of giving you a lot of grief and stuff, but you know what? He's really a good guy, and you ought to just kind of, you know, work with him and so forth. And they were also, it says, reported my words to him. Everything Nehemiah said, everything Nehemiah did continually was got back to Tobiah. They were spies. They were, they were the gossip train getting it back to Tobiah. In other words, here's what Nehemiah was saying. Problems never go away. The wall was done. The other people recognized it. But what Nehemiah was saying is, there was this mess I still had to deal with. I've still got to persevere. As long as he was governor of Judah, as long as he was serving the Lord there, he had Tobiah and Sanballat to deal with. And as long, friends, as we are here on this earth serving the Lord, We've got the devil to deal with. That's the point. 
I wish that I could, when, when I hear stories and things of difficulties and troubles that many of you go through, I wish that I had some magic wand that I could wave over you and that I could remove all of your problems and all the opposition and all the trouble in your life. But I don't. I wish I could tell you that one day you're going to wake up and you're not going to have any more problems. You're not going to have any more trouble and you're not going to have any more, any more persecution. I wish I could tell you that one day here on this earth you will wake up, but that day will not be here on this earth. Amen? I can. As long as you wake up on this earth, friends, you will have tribulation if you are continuing to serve the Lord. But here's what I can tell you. I can share with you the promise of Jesus in John 16, that says, In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Amen? Listen, when you have Jesus, you have everything you need. You have the strength, you have the power to press on and persevere through no matter what it is, friends. Listen, no matter whether it's physical sickness or or financial troubles or relational issues or family stuff or work problems, friends, you can press on through it all, keeping your eyes on Jesus. Because we know if I've got Jesus, number one, I know where my eternity is going to be. Amen? I know that it is set and it is secure, and there's nothing that, in this earth that can change that once I've trusted Christ as my Savior. I know also that his Holy Spirit lives inside of me to strengthen me and to lead me and guide me and be with me through it all. Even if, as Job, everybody on this earth forsakes me or is taken from me, I've got Jesus. I've got his Holy Spirit living inside of me. And because of all of that, I can press on. Here's the other promise I can give to you. Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, 13, and that is this. He who endures to the end shall be saved. Perseverance, friends, is persevering till the end. Keep on keeping on. Amen? Perseverance, endurance will be so worth it. There is nothing you do in life that will be more worth it than persevering in the Lord. Remember uh, at the beginning, I told you a story about Shizo Kanakuri, the marathon runner. Remember him? Uh, he he, He was so weakened by the trip and so forth that he passed out and dropped out of the 1912 Olympics. Well... Since he never notified race officials of what had happened, that he'd passed out and had to drop out of the race, Swedish authorities considered him missing for over 50 years. They didn't know what happened to him. They just considered him missing. He just didn't finish the race. Until one day they discovered that he was living in Japan. He was alive. Unbelievably, after hearing this story... In 1967, 55 years later, I believe my math is right, he was offered by the Olympic Committee, I guess, the opportunity to complete his run. Yes, he was offered the opportunity to go back to Stockholm and finish that marathon. He accepted, went back to Germany, and completed the marathon. His time for the marathon. How many, anybody here ever run a marathon? 
Oh, come on. We got no half marathon. Any marathon? None. Okay. I was going to ask what your time was. Okay. Listen, even if you are the slowest marathon runner on the planet, okay, you don't have the record for the slowest. Here was his time for the marathon. His time was 54 years, eight months, six days, five hours, 32 minutes and 20.3 seconds. That was his official time. Here's what he said about it. He said, it was a long race. (laughs) He also said, along the way, (laughs) nobody else has ever done this in the race, I got married. (laughs) I had six children and 10 grandchildren, but I finished. You know, friends, the Bible... The Bible is full of stories of people who quit, but later, with God's help, finished the race. Maybe you've never thought about it like this before, but Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness before God renewed his call. Peter denied Christ, went back to his old life fishing before Jesus came and restored him. Friends, we could go on and on with others like John Mark, who was set aside and then later restored to ministry. Samson, who set aside, who eventually finished the race. Friends, so the question is this. The question is not, did you quit? Did you stop? Did you get sidelined? But the question is, did you answer the call to get back in the race and start serving Jesus again? What do you need to do today to do that? Do you have some baggage that you need to lay at the cross? Maybe some things that have caused you to be on the sidelines. Maybe some hurt, some pain, bitterness. Maybe even towards God that has caused you to say, you know what? I I don't know that I can serve the Lord like I used to. Do you need to ask God to forgive you for quitting, for stopping? For not serving him like you ought. Friends, maybe you don't even know exactly what happened. Maybe you just know you need his help right where you are. Would you return to him today? Would you answer that call to get back in the game serving him? Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. We hope it's been a blessing and help to you along the way with our King Jesus Christ. If you'd like to connect with our church, you can find more sermon podcasts, videos, and many other resources and information about our local congregation on our website at southsidesbc.org. You can also text the word CONNECT to our church text line at 574-475-7291. Southside Baptist Church, impacting our world for Christ one life at a time. Thanks for listening and have a great day.